Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is the great Sam Vecini of The Athletic, NBA Draft, college basketball expert, and he and I start to lay the groundwork for the 2023 NBA Draft class, starting out with an extended conversation on Victor Wembanyama, inspired by the two games that I saw in person for Wembanyama during my time in France, and then we get into kind of the other top guys in the class that we're keeping an eye on and some of the college teams worth watching this year. Great conversation brought to you by betonline.ag. Use the CLNS50 promo code to get yourself a 50% welcome bonus. Pod runs just about an hour. I hope you love it. Thank you so much for coming on. Danny, it's always a pleasure to be here. It's always a thrill to be here, especially today, because one of the things we're going to talk about is an awesome in-person draft experience that you had in France while you were on a trip. I, I couldn't be more thrilled to talk to you today. Yeah, it, it was it was very fun. I mean, so I was I was just in Europe for five and a half weeks, and the reason it was five and a half weeks and not four is Victor Wembanyama, because basically it was kind of working on this itinerary and then realized that the French Domestic League starts basically almost immediately after I would have been leaving. And I'm just like, okay, I need to go. And it was, uh, it, the, I'll, I'll tell part of the story now. I'm going to save part of it for the piece that I'm writing about it. But so his first game was in this tiny town of Gravelines, which I don't even think the word suburb is correct. It's a, it's a city close to Dunkirk. So you're up on the French coast. And small town, small arena, and it was pouring rain, had to figure out how to get to the arena on public transportation and other stuff. <laughs> and it was a whole, whole boondoggle. And and then you're there. And then so I saw that game. And then the next game was easier because it was in Paris. And so just went to went to the Metropolitan's Arena. Um, that's not what it's called, but they're their their home arena in Paris. And that one was cool. Well, t- I think we'll actually talk more in some ways about the workout. I saw because I watched him for an hour before the game than the game itself. But it was my first time seeing him in person. I'm guessing you have you seen him in person because Wembenyama's played in some international stuff. I have not seen him in person. I have watched. What did I estimate on the podcast I did with Spins after like the 30 point preseason game? I would venture I've watched, you know, something in the ballpark of 25 Wembenyama games at this point between nice. the, you know, stuff he played with Usman Jang when he's playing for Center Federal, uh, the EuroLeague games, the two or three games he's played this year. Uh, I've watched, yeah, I've watched quite a few games of Wembenyama's at this point. Yeah, and and there's reason to. It. I mean, he's been a a known prospect for a little while now, and and I believe you posited. Correct me if I'm wrong. That your theory is that he would have been the number one pick in the 2022 draft were he eligible, which he missed by four days. Yeah, wouldn't he be? Would not have. Okay, let, let's assume that the medical's clear for Vic because sure. that's the big hanging question above him, and really like the only significant like remaining question above him now. Uh, assuming the medical's clear, Vic would have gone number one w- without question in the 2022 NBA draft. The so so the let's start here. Uh, we'll talk about my insight. But for people who are less familiar, this is one of the first times you and I have talked about Victor Wembanyama on this podcast. You and I have on yours, and also just in general. The most recent listed measurements for him is it? It's an eight foot wingspan, right? Yeah, Gavoni got it at uh, seven foot four without shoes, I believe. <laughs> 
and <laughs> an eight, a seven eleven wingspan or something like yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things where, and you, you'll be able to tell me this. So th- there are guys that you see in person where I was trying to explain this to friends. We had a party over here this weekend. I told you about this for the Australian football grand final. And a lot of those guys are basketball fans. And I was trying to explain like, standing next to someone that just looks bigger than what you see on TV. Right. And like what you expect to see. Right. Like Deandre Ayton, like I've stood next to seven footers. Like I did a whole show this year with tab and like the Australia NBA site with Chris Anstey, who's seven feet tall. Right. And when, when Chris, you stand next to Chris Anstey, you're like, Chris is seven foot. Like Chris is a big dude. And it's, you know, he's seven foot tall. Right. When you're within basketball circles, you kind of become numb to it. Right. Like, don't you feel that way? Generally, Yes. You get, yeah, you, so you get this rough calibration, especially if you're attending games in person and in locker rooms back when that's allowed. And you get a, a, because listed heights are notoriously inaccurate of like, okay, this is what it actually was. And that was like the idea that, Draymond Green, like he has a long wingspan, but he's he's significantly shorter than his listed height. You know, like a lot of of that kind of stuff. And then one of the guys where I was like, oh shit, this guy's big. The first time I saw Kristaps Porzingis in person, he's he's a legit, he's a legit seven two. And you're like, oh okay. And I mean, yeah, you can use more like more novelty than like like Taco Fall. Like the first time I saw Taco Fall, I'm like, oh yeah, this guy's big because he's listed seven five seven six. And for Wembenyama, so I didn't get to spend time. Here, here, hold. Like the guys that like I would use as examples of this, like DeAndre Ayton. Like you've stood next to DeAndre. I have. I've sat next to you, like while we've been watching DeAndre Ayton in person, and stood next to him. DeAndre Ayton, like the way that his posture is, the way his shoulders are just fucking enormous. Like he is, he looks bigger than he is. Yeah. Like he looks bigger than he is on TV. He looks big next to other NBA players. Yeah. Joel Joel Embiid too. Like Joel Embiid Joel is like, Embiid's another g- great example of this. Paulo Bancaro is actually like a real example of this, I think. Like I don't have you have you seen Paulo in person yet? I've seen him in person, but I haven't been I didn't I didn't like stand on the floor. That's one of my favorite things to do is like stand on the floor yeah. as they walk by. I haven't done that yet. I will do that when Orlando plays wherever I am for the first time. Right. Like Paulo is like that. Like Paulo's again, like shoulders. He's longer. He's not like, like longer than you expect, but he's bigger than you expect. Well, yeah. Cause it's, it can be a lot of things. It can be height. It can yeah. be frame. It can be wingspan. It can be just like, this guy's a tank. Like those there, I mean, we could go through a myriad, like Zion. I remember the first time I was with Zion. I was like, Oh, okay. Like he's yeah. shorter. He's in some ways he's shorter than you think, but he's just a mound of awesomeness. Yeah. He's a mound of muscle basically. Yeah. Um, Chet Holmgren is longer than you expect. Yes. Like th- that's just a real thing. And, and I think his skinniness stands out more in person than it does on film. It does. That's absolutely true. It absolutely does. With Vic, how did you feel kind of like being there and like seeing him as he was like towering over dudes? Cause like on tape, it just looks like he fucking towers over everybody. I didn't get to see it on the floor. So I will caution on that. Part of it was that I didn't, I didn't go to the post game presser in part because I didn't know if they were going to make him available. He didn't have the biggest performance and in part because i knew the presser would all be in french and my french is rusty so i i held <laughs> off, i held off on that but not, just not in general just like rue roots yes just seeing him on the floor oh yeah he he he's big and i mean the funniest like and you know this you've sat next to me a fair amount 
one of the like the highest kind of praise you can get from me generally in a game is when I just crack up laughing as opposed to yeah. like, oh, that was great or whatever. There was a play in the second game, so when they were playing Palak Orthez, that Wembenyama blocked the shot with his arm basically bent and his elbow at his shoulder height. So, like, you kind of imagine, like, oh, you're so tall, you don't even have to, like, extend. It's just, like, where his hand is. And I'm just like, oh, what the hell? Um, And so that stuff is really interesting. And so on the defensive, and so, like, I mean, it's easy to imagine how that kind of length applies itself defensively. Like, it's it's not a big stretch to imagine it. And actually, one of the biggest things that Wembenyama needs to work on, and this led in part to his foul trouble in game two, is trusting his length more where yeah. so he's and I, this is probably Kole and just like the training that you get as a young player because these are the rules that apply to most people is that you you know you want to try to be in the right positioning you want to be affecting or so it was on a play he was on his guy and then his guy made a version of an interior pass to a different guy when Benyama got over there trying to make the block but he tried to get from in one guy's body to in the other guy's body and he just didn't quite get there in time and so it was a foul right. and then it was in foul trouble when he was out Victor Wembanyama doesn't have to be there. He can be in the vague vicinity, and he's probably fine. Right, um, and and this is this is something that like Chet Holmgren is really good at. Yes, it is. Like yeah, like Chet's anticipation and, and his uh, like understanding of his length is elite. Um, but here's the thing with Vic. Vic is four inches taller and has seriously probably five or six inches in wingspan on Chet. So that's like nine inches of margin of error that he has that Chet Holmgren does not have. And Chet Holmgren is one of the longest players yeah. in the NBA. And that, and that basically that's any insane. other any other starter level player in the NBA in modern vintage has not even come close to you. like that. Like it's just the like the theoretical like if we're going to use an NFL analogy catch radius that Victor Wembanyama has even if you don't factor in like bounce or anything like yeah. that is just completely astonishing like he could probably do just about everything you would want most big men to do without leaving his feet at all yeah. and the other really big positive for me with Wembanyama defensively is for especially when you're calibrating for a for a young kid i mean 18 year old is he does some of the little things that a lot of 18-year-olds don't. So, like, on defensive rebounds, he's boxing out his guy instead of just reaching out to get it himself. Yeah. And you really want that. I mean, the uh, the Lopez twins are a fantastic test case of this where they're big on it because the goal is, to get, is for your team to get the rebound, not necessarily for you to do it individually. And he would get into good position there. And also showed some pretty good recognition of like, okay, I need to be here. Had some real trouble in the first game against Gravelines um, because there, uh, Kalea was playing him a fair amount at power forward and the guy could shoot. And he's like, but I want to be like, he was kind of trying to square it. And I, and I thought he was generally making the right decision. It was just that the guy, Edwards, I believe his last name was, was it, drilling through. And for, for what it's worth, can you explain to people who Kalea is? It's, he's sure. an important name in French basketball, but I don't know that all of your listeners. Yes. Know. So Vincent Kalea is the, um, he's the French, na- and you can add to this, he's the French national team coach and is also the head coach for Victor Wembanyama's league team, which is Metropolitan's 92. And yes. so that, and I, I presume that that's a part of the story here. I don't know that definitively for sure. Um, but, you know, that that Wembanyama gets that experience. He's a ver- very highly regarded coach. France has had a lot of international success. 
And so, yeah, so he, and there were times, especially in the Gravelines game, that I actually thought some of the tactical stuff, defensively in particular, wasn't, wasn't fantastic, but it's also the first game in Domestic League and all that type of stuff. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go nuts over it. But so, okay, so you have that as like a really obvious positive. And I like to use kind of the concept, the framing of can be, will be, is. And for Wembenyama, like he can be an elite defensive player. I don't think, I don't think it's a guarantee, but I think there's no reason he has the right mental makeup for, especially when you're calibrating for an 18 year old and he has the right physical tools. The one concern, and this is mostly just, you can't clear the highest bar is I, I didn't love his quick twitch and his kind of like high level agility nearly as much as Anthony Davis. Because if we're talking about yeah, those yeah, like yeah, special, yeah. special guys, like Anthony yeah. Davis, those blo- those closeout blocks that he had at Kentucky, you're just like, oh, shit. Like, this is something right. different. We've seen Mobley do a little bit of that a- as well. And Wembenyama, when I like he for when he does those things, which he does, he's doing it more through length and positioning rather than that version of speed. So I think he'll be able to, you know, do some basic switching, but I don't think that he's going, he, he's not a do everything defender. He's in some ways, I, I at least preliminarily see him more in the Gobert mold than the Davis mold in terms of the role that you want him in. So I agree with that. I just want to compare him to Anthony Davis physically for a second. Uh, at the 2012 combine, Anthony Davis was six foot nine point two five without shoes and had a seven foot five and a half wingspan. So essentially, Wembenyama is going to have seven inches of height on him and like six and a half to seven inches of wingspan. He is basically basically going to have you know not accounting for neck length. Like Victor does have like a bit of a long neck. He does. It, you know, like this, that, and the other thing, right? Yeah. He's going to have something in the ballpark of a foot of like length on Anthony Davis, who is one of the longest players in the NBA. Right. And, that and, is and also ridiculous. It, it's like, ridiculous. And like the comparing anybody to Davis in terms of those specific elements of athleticism is pretty unfair. Right. Like he, he, Davis was elite among elite big men prospects in the whole time I've, I've done the draft. Right. I agree with that. Now, I agree with you that he's more Rudy than he is Davis. I do think he's a little bit more fluid and coordinated with his footwork than Rudy is. I think Rudy's especially. So this is a good question for you because you loved Rudy pre-draft. I did not really like Rudy pre-draft. I think you for people who haven't been listening to your podcast, I think you had Rudy like sixth or seventh, fifth or something on your pre-draft board in 2013, right? Uh, Yeah, some in that range. Yeah, so I had him more in the range of where he was picked. I think I had him like 26th, 27th, 28th, and he went 27th. So he was not all that quick twitch when he was in France in his pre-draft year. He was like kind of slow and like, I don't want to say lumbering, but he wasn't, he wasn't lumbering, but he wasn't quite the guy that we see now. He's clearly gotten into better shape. Rudy is like renowned league wide for someone that really takes care of his frame, really like does everything in terms of conditioning and being in the utmost shape that he can possibly be in. Like he's strong as shit. Like he's long. He's, he, he's just really, really uh, done every, he's maximized his body. Right. Um, when Binyama, it seems like is still getting there mm-hmm. uh, and he is still quite skinny for his frame. 
I, I have some vague hopes that if he's willing to put in the time and the effort that he could actually improve that speed because I think he's ahead of where Rudy was in France at this point. The, the thing is that like Rudy got 110% out of his frame, which is like, you know, almost like an outlier level of expectation in terms of what you're going to get out of maximizing your frame. If Vic even gets like 75% out of his frame, he's going to be, you know, a top 10 player in the league as long as he stays healthy. Um, it, it's just, I, I wonder if there's some upside basically with his quickness there, to where there is. he's, yeah, he's not like, he's not Anthony Davis. Like, I don't think he's ever going to be Anthony Davis if only because the thing about Anthony Davis as well and Vic kind of actually has this a little bit um Anthony Davis has a lower center of gravity it feels like than most guys that are like this long right again it probably comes from being six foot nine as opposed to like seven foot tall right and then using his length and the reason that matters is that it's harder for a guard to like get leverage on him when he has a full head of steam and driving right uh it's harder to get it's harder to create leverage on him by getting lower than he is because anthony davis also is very flexible and can like sink down in his defensive stance and slide really really well vic has a higher center of gravity than Anthony Davis, which I wonder if it's going to allow guards to get just a little bit more leverage on him consistently, which could lead to him, you know, not being a switch guy necessarily. But the thing that he is going to be able to do better than anyone in the NBA right now is contest from behind, because, again, he has a foot of length on Anthony Davis even like I can't keep emphasizing his length enough it's special it's different it's it's unlike even Rudy Gobert's length like Rudy Gobert has like a nine seven and a half standing reach I would imagine that Vic is going to exceed that by five inches or something crazy like that it's it's going to be really really exceptional uh in terms of what the number is it is and i love your point about leverage that could end up being incredibly salient for for when Benyama's career and i you know so so like on the defensive end there's a lot to like and and also like he plays with pretty good intention like his, his motor's not elite but it's it's on the it's definitely in the realm of good which is yeah for for an 18 year old fantastic and like he doesn't set good screens but i have basically never seen an 18 year old who was incredible nba prospect who has so yeah. that's okay what I don't want to say intrigued me more because it's not going to be the centerpiece of him as a prospect, but what was the most surprising, and this is I was kind of teasing this in the intro, is when I watched that workout, that of course you're working out primarily on offense. When Benyama, particularly that point from one hour before the game to a half hour where it's kind of like you're working on stuff, not like doing the layup yeah. line, all that type of stuff, he was when when you watched the stuff he was doing and the way he was doing it. It was more like a power forward or a small forward than a center. And at times, you might think that's bad. You know, it's like, you have this guy, we've just been talking about how his incredible length and everything else, like put him around the basket. A, like, he's not skinny like Holmgren, but he's also not like Joel Embiid. He's not like Embiid thick or anything like that. So like... How much in the post is he going to, like, against like-sized guys, is he really going to move them? Eventually, like, I would love for him to watch an unlimited amount of Kareem and Tim Duncan film for the angles of Duncan and theoretically adding a skyhook. And, like, those sorts of things. 
those are the guys that I'm that I would be fascinated to go back and watch. The, the, there are three guys particularly. Kareem, I, I don't need to like I kind of remember Tim Duncan a little bit. Duncan, I feel like a Duncan was not as long, and B Duncan just didn't. Duncan didn't. He moved like this, but it was a different kind of movement. Like it was. Hey, Duncan's instincts were also better. Yeah, it was like the reactivity was better despite being like, I honestly, like, I don't mean this, like, you know, people are going to think I'm shit talking about the 10 best players of all time. But like, like there was a little bit more stiffness with what he did, I felt like. Uh, And that's not a bad, like, he was just so big and so smart and his IQ was unbelievable. His touch was unbelievable. Like, it it was just a bit more of a stiffness, I felt like, with Tim. Uh, Whereas with Vic, like, there's some shake there. Like, his hips are very fluid. Like, it's different. So Duncan is one. Kareem is one. The third one that I would love to go back and see a little bit more of, and I've done this a little bit, um, if only because I think I've mentioned this on my show. I've been talking to Kyle Mann about Arvidas Sabonis a little bit recently. Mm. Um, in the early, I believe it was like the late seventies, early eighties, Arvidas Sabonis like came over to the United States or Virginia went over to Russia or something like that. I think Arvidas Sabonis came over to the United States and they played against Ralph Sampson. And this was when Ralph Sampson was in Wembenyama's shoes was, you know, from the time he was a freshman in college onward was the best player in college basketball and was like the next great player. Ralph Sampson came in, he averaged 20 points a game was an all NBA player or thereabouts for the first four or five years of his NBA career. And the injury bug eventually got him. Unfortunately, this is the reason why Ralph Sampson is in the hall of fame, despite the fact that he's not necessarily like traditionally someone that based on his accomplishments would get there. Um, But I would, uh, I would be fascinated to watch more games of Ralph Sampson because in that game against Arvidas Sabonis, you could see some of the similar things like seven foot four, super long, has real fluidity, has real coordination, different time, different development. Obviously we're talking 40 years ago, but you could see some of the same physical tools. So yeah, like with Vic, I would like to see more of Ralph Sampson. I would like to see more of Kareem. And I think I will go back and watch more of Tim Duncan. Those, those are the three guys that like, I'm kind of looking at with him. Yeah. And they're, and they're great ones to look at. And, and so Wembenyama and and weirdly, especially when I got to watch that the the workouts, I actually like his touch further from the basket than I do around the basket for right now. And he's eighteen, plenty of time. That yeah. touch is one of those things that if you have it early, you're going to have it forever. But if you don't have it early, you can get closer. And well, and it it feels like with Vic, he's just been able to dunk everything around the basket right. for his whole career because he's been playing against smaller people uh, up until last season when he was playing Euro League. Uh, that's why, like around, the, like if you look at his Euro League numbers last year, they're like really bad. Actually, I think he shot like under forty five percent from two point range, or maybe even like under forty percent from two point range. And it, it's just because like he hadn't had to do that before. He hadn't had to like have the touch finishes. Like you look at him, there are times where he's like going up around the basket where he'll like bring the ball up with one hand and like almost shoot it down off the backboard and into the basket. Right. Like, did you see one of those? When you I, I, I saw him kind of try one of those, but it didn't work. Um, yeah. He was just trying trying to kind of work on the angles. And so, th- and that's a work in progress. It happens, happens a lot. And, you know, as you mentioned, like the spaces that you are on the floor and the spaces that you are prevented from getting to on the floor shift as you face better talent. And like, that'll be an yeah. adjustment going from, from the French League to the NBA as well. 
well because there just aren't as there aren't that many humans outside of the NBA that can do what those bigs can't. And so like preventing right. you from getting to your spots and everything else. With Wenbenyama though, when you're when you're, so watching all that stuff, so it started out with him shooting catch and shoot versions, catch and shoot threes, and his mechanics are pretty good. Like they're, you, know, you look at it, and you're like, okay, that's you know that's a shot that's going to be that you know if he works on enough, if it's something he cares about, that that can be there. But then things got interesting because he started taking some deeper threes. I don't think it was like Steph Curry range because the international line's a little closer, but it was like multiple steps out. And he did something that I've been harping on LeBron James to do for years, which is that if you're that big and strong, and LeBron's even like stronger than Wembenyama, you yeah. can you can shoot threes from further away without modifying your motion. And so like Eric Gordon has done, it actually makes your shot way harder to block. Because and you've changed the yeah. geometry of the floor because you're closing out to a different distance. The Rockets with Ryan Anderson and, and Eric Gordon still the pinnacle of this so far in NBA execution. And when Benyama, like he can, so he was taking those. You know they're not going in every single time, but it's like okay, he can do that. Like that is that is something that will eventually be in his game. So that was intriguing. But then the thing that really got me was at the very end of that workout, and it's like just stuck in my brain. He started doing some movement threes. And you're just like, oh, he he shoots them. Yeah, like, it, you're like, you're like, it's wait wild. a second, because that is that's the potential mind breaker in terms of how he could potentially be used, because you think about uh, and you think about this just from a practical perspective, and you okay, so you can put different types of guys on when Benyama. I think a lot of teams will be tempted when he's in the NBA to put your four on him. Because then you, because if he, if this perimeter game stuff materializes at all, it's just going to be a giant pain in the ass for center. But if you, even if it's a four, if you can get that four to navigate a screen, it's like they're, they're just not used to it. Like that's, you know, it's something that a lot of different guys have created. And like there are plenty of fours they can shoot now. But fours that like want to do that and aren't bad at every other part of basketball is extremely unusual. And when Benyama, of course, has the theoretical release point on his jumper and everything else, you're like, oh, okay. So that's one big part of it. Yeah. What you're talking about here is why he is such a potential marginal inefficiency as a basketball player. Like even just in terms of the way it would work on the court, like forget – I mean, look, the tools matter, right? Like being seven foot five with an eight foot wingspan is part of this, right? But the thing that matters here is that he can do it functionally on a basketball court with movement, with dexterity, fluidity, with IQ on some level. He can be reactive to it. Like think about the way that you're going to be able to utilize him within a lineup. You're going to be able to play him his peak at the four potentially where he can be a mismatch just in terms of height with the way that teams downsize now. Like this is a big part of why, you know, for instance, like Evan Mobley has been impactful early in his career, right? He won't be able to guard threes like Evan Mobley can, but he's going to be an even better rim protector. So what you're going to be able to do with him in this case is because I think he's going to shoot pretty early in his career and shoot from three, I mean, and space it and be able to knock down shots, you're going to be able to play him with another center potentially. And it's going to be really fucking hard for teams to stop them. Like it's going to be really hard for teams to score on that team against a seven foot four with an eight foot wingspan four man. And then another five, like think about if Oklahoma city gets him and you can play him next to Chet, like the options here are limitless in terms of like defensive capabilities. Right. And and or, you can even or you can do what I've 
what I've argued teams should do with Porzingis all these years is you just play with more shooting around him. And then right. the other team is like, exactly oh, well, where where are you going to put the five? Because that's exactly right. Like you put, you know, you put him next to uh, I'm trying to think of a specific team example here. But like you, you put him City in Bay. Phoenix, right? Um, or, yeah, you put him in Detroit where the lineup is Cade, Jaden Ivey, Boyan and Sadiq Bay, and then Vic. And it's just like, well, where do you put the five? You can't put the five on Boyan. You probably can't put the five on Sadiq Bay. You certainly can't put it on Cade and Jaden. So, like, what do you do in that case? Right. It's almost like an unguardable lineup in many ways. It is. So, yeah, like that, that's that's the marginal inefficiency that you're going to see, like, actually on the court once he well, gets there. And, and, there's a, and there's another one this ties in with your center theory, which is having a player of his size that could theoretically do the movement shooting element makes it possible to have Victor Wembanyama on the floor and not use him in the primary action as much. And that has been a big problem with a lot of the other, like, bigs who can shoot with that archetype is it's like, okay, well, the most common thing that you run into then is you just have them standing out there like Miles Turner did this for a long yeah. time, because partially because yeah. he's playing with Sabonis and everything else. And so it's like, well, he's not really doing much. And so low usage, big, doing all that. And and I don't think Wenbanyama is going to be a super high usage guy, though there, we'll talk about there's one other way that that could change. But Well, it's it's what Dallas did with Porzingis, right? They, right. they would stick him in the corner, or they'd have him be the trailer, or they'd have him pick and pop. Like sure. the, that was, that was Those are the three things that with the Luca Porzingis combo, like the most yeah. utilized situations. And, and so, so then the other way that you could employ that is there are a lot of fours that are, that would be very good pick and roll players, but be, th- but because of the way most offenses work, it doesn't really make sense. And John Collins here is the, is the salient point. John Collins, part of the reason he has been so marginalized with the Hawks is that what do you do with Clint Capella if John Collins is the screener? And, you know, you're probably going to have help around the basket. Trey can do some foul drawing and all that. It, you, it gets harder. And that's part of why power forwards are right. just not used in primary actions nearly as much. Well, and, and let's play out that thread even more. You have to put Clint in the dunker spot at that point. That That's really the only thing you can do with Clint. Exactly. Is play him in that little spot. And it just makes them easier to guard because they're inflexible at that point. Right. And there, there's right? going to be help that's not going to face repercussions of being there. And right. so you're making it a constraint play and you're taking out, you know, as much as people talk about, oh, the three-pointer, a lot of what that is doing is making it so that you can get easier shots around the basket. And right. if you're playing, if you're using a four with a non-shooting five and, and that's the format of the action, you're you're getting close to assuring that you're not going to get that good too. Right. And so that just it just takes one of the valuable pieces off the board. And so for Wembenyama, like that, those rules might not necessarily apply. So you can think about all of the different ways that that could incorporate. You could use theoretically, they're not going to probably have a pick in that range, but like you could play Wembenyama next to Zion, and it would work. Like you could put him in a lot of these. Oh, different- that, that's that's the dream. It is like point blank. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the dream. And so, but you can do it with like basically, you could fit him around a lot of other elite players. And in a way that you like that, that's the part that he is paralleling Anthony Davis, where it's like you can do this a lot of different ways and it will work really well. And that also means from a team building perspective, you accumulate talent and whatever they do well, you can work with it. But the other part that we haven't talked about yet, 30 minutes into talking about Victor Wembanyama, I had no idea that he had even like the nascent 
little to early on ball game and he oh, was yeah, doing yeah. Oh, some yeah. he like can, he can handle a little yeah bit. and it, so it's not like yeah it's not fluid but yeah, yeah it's it's, it's not primary ball handler stuff not gonna run pick and roll but like the thing that he does best against opposing centers especially if they're like you know more traditional centers is beating them with finesse rather than power and that part is actually kind of like Paulo Boncaro he's not the same kind of athlete not the same kind of handler as Boncaro but also yeah. as we've mentioned many times significantly longer and so like there yeah. Was this pa- one Paulo Paulo's more technically sound as a oh, yeah. player and yeah. has been for a while forever. And 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 so with Wembenyama, what that means is when he's in matchups against his guy, he can do a lot of those finesse things. And so it's not you know call for the ball, back the guy down, and get a skyhook. I mean, eventually I'd love for him to do that. I think the end game is Wembenyama doing that against smaller guys, kind of in a way like what Jokic has done, even though they're not remotely the same player physically. And then against like-sized guys, face up, get into your power forward skill set. And then the other thing that Wembenyama already does pretty well, we saw we saw little glimpses of this because he's playing a fair amount of four, is he's he's a pretty intuitive interior passer. And so what that means is he could be a good short roll guy, especially with a little yep. bit of a handle and some pretty good like he had a couple of nice passes. And so like okay, like so if you paired him, I talked about how pairing him with a, high, a talented big works. Pairing him with a really talented small works too, because if that person draws a double, then you give it to Wenbanyama with a four on three. He's not Draymond Green, but he can make a lot of those decisions. And so, like, I think Wenbanyama offensively, and why he might not be like the tippy tippy top of the best prospects I've ever seen, is offensively. I don't think he's great at creating advantages. That's going to come from the coaching scheme. That's going to come from his development. Possible. Not there yet. Possible. So that's different than Giannis. That's different than Zion as they eventually So, so here, here here, would be my, not, not even counter, because I agree with you right now about that. Like, I think that he struggles to do that right now. The European court, while European teams certainly space it better than college teams, right? Because they're just better shooters. You have to account for the shooters on sure. the court in a more functional, tangible way. The NBA court is just even more spaced out. And Vic being seven foot five, this is something that you see in college all the time with these big ball handlers. They just run out of space. Mm -hmm. A lot of the time, like they they just like kind of don't have anywhere to go because they're too big and it's just a little bit more condensed than what you see in the NBA. I wonder if you get Vic into NBA spacing, if we're going to see even a bigger jump in terms of his on-ball dexterity. You know what I mean? Like getting him, it's the same thing that happened with Scotty Barnes, right? Like he's the prototype that I bring up with this in my mind. Um, And you see it with Giannis too. You see it with others. But with Scotty, like that Florida State court was so cramped all the time and he is six foot nine and it's just hard for him to go anywhere because he's so big and long. I wonder if because Vic is seven inches taller and... 10 inches longer in terms of his arms if it's just a little bit harder right now for him to move around the court like you can't really get him the ball in the mid post right now and like have him go right right there's just not really enough space yeah that for, I, for sure maybe they can do that in the nba a little bit more i'm not saying that he can do that right now i, I don't think he's like capable enough as a technical ball handler at 18 years old to be able to do that right now 
But when he's 24, will he be able to do it? I, I would buy that. It's, be, it's you, definitely plausible. It, it. It's definitely plausible. And it, it, we'll, we'll have to see. And like, I mean, have, what, have you heard anything about his work ethic? Because it seems like he worked. It seems like he was working pretty hard. Yeah, I've heard good things. I, I put it this way. I haven't heard anything negative yet, at the very least. Um, I haven't like done my full deep dive that I'm going to do uh, on all of these guys in terms of like work ethic and everything but i I have i've yet to hear a bad thing about it to be certain yeah and the the, the stuff that he's doing it's i mean uh, years ago i did a pod with adi joseph on real gm radio where we talked about like training bigs as guards early on and then you work on the other stuff later and like i think Wenbanyama could be a really good test case for why that's a good idea just because having having even like a, a baseline of those kind of skills, even if that ends up not being the player he is, like it, it's going to make a lot of things make a little bit more sense. And so I'm I'm extremely excited about it. So preliminarily, like I mean, we got a whole season to, to watch him. Like I don't necessarily have him in that like LeBron AD class yet, but I'm open to the possibility, and we'll see what he does this year. Well, and, and let, let's let's note the elephant in the room again. Like the elephant in the room is that Vic is super long, and the track record for guys that are this long is not the best in terms of staying healthy. Sure. On top of it, uh, Victor Wembanyama throughout his career. Uh, in December 2020, he had a stress fracture in his leg. In November 2021, he broke a finger that forced him to miss a month. In December 2021, he suffered a right shoulder blade bone bruise that forced him to miss over a month. Uh, in June 2022, he suffered a muscle injury that forced him to miss the rest of the French League season. He's had these little injuries that have cropped up throughout the course of his career. And it's not ideal for someone that has this frame. And I think that, honestly, like that could be the big difference between him and LeBron, for instance, as a prospect, right? Can he stay healthy? What are what are our injury questions here long term with Victor Wembanyama? Uh, those injury questions didn't really exist with LeBron ahead of time. Uh, people brought up the fact that like Anthony Davis is skinny. How's he going to be able to deal with the physicality of the NBA in 2012? But I, I don't I, I think that they were less pronounced than they are with Vic at the very least in terms of like injury history. Um, I think that it's just worth noting that th- that is a that is a factor that teams will consider at the very least when it comes to Wembenyama. Absolutely, plenty more with Sam Vecini, but first a message from BetOnline.ag. Football is back, and BetOnline remains your number one source for all your football betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest football odds, team matchup information, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, BetOnline features live betting, free contests and live scores, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and events, whether that be Major League Baseball, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. So head to BetOnline.ag and use the CLNS50 promo code to receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Again, make sure to use the promo code CLNS50 to receive your rewards at BetOnline, where the game starts. Let's transition to, uh, so when last time I think you did a, a mock draft or a big board was in July, at, at, and you wrote that it, the number one pick is not a done deal in your mind, yeah. and the reason why is Scoot Henderson. Scoot played for the G League Ignite last year, will play for them again this year. What is the Scoot Henderson sales pitch? 
super athlete, incredibly quick, physical, uh, six foot two, but like has all sorts of burst, power, speed. Uh, he's like kind of the prototypical lead guard that you're looking for in today's NBA. Uh, working on his jumper, I don't all NBA ceiling as a guard. There's just no question about that. So I, I look at what he can do, and the the big question with Vic is just going to revolve around the injuries at the end of the day, right? Like, can he stay healthy? If if Victor Wembanyama stays healthy, he's going to go number one overall, and as long as the medicals come back clear, he's going to go number one overall. But if they don't, then that's a question. And, and I think that Scoot Henderson is probably the guy that's waiting in the wings most to be ready to go. The other part of the argument in favor of Henderson is that the fact of the matter, and I was going back through my top 10 players the last time Nate and I did it towards the end of the regular season, a vast, vast majority of the guys that both made those slots and were seriously considered for those slots are on ball players. Like that's because that is a significant part of deriving value in the NBA right now is being able to generate good shots for yourself and others. You can do that at a variety of positions, a variety of heights and weights, but you know, like you have Jokic and Embiid and Luka and Steph Curry, but you don't really have many Anthony Davises, many Rudy Gobert's that make that are really top 10 players at a given moment in time. And so the idea could be, even if Scoot Henderson's ceiling, you know, the the concept of him is a little bit different, that as a practical consideration, guys who do what he does have a clear path to dominance in some ways because he breaks molds less than when Benyama does. Yeah, I, th- I think that is right. I mean, just look at, for instance, the All-NBA teams last year. Giannis, Jason Tatum, Nikola Jokic, Devin Booker, Luka Doncic, then DeMar DeRozan, Kevin Durant, Joel Embiid, Stephen Curry, John Morant. Uh, I would say none of those guys are off-ball players. They're all primary on-ball guys. Uh, LeBron James, Pascal Siakam, Carl Anthony Towns, Chris Paul, Trey Young. I guess the closest thing to an off-ball player there would be Pascal, right? Um, again, 2021, Giannis Kawhi, Jokic, Curry, Doncic, LeBron, Julius Randle, who was super on ball that season, uh, Embiid, Lillard, Paul, Jimmy Butler, Paul George, and then Rudy Gobert, third team. Uh, it's really, really hard to find these guys in 2020, Rudy Gobert, Ben Simmons, you can make a case off ball to an extent, but like even he was like a pseudo point guard, I guess. It's just hard to find guys that are primary off ball guys. Now, not all of these guys entered the NBA being, you know, off ball or on ball threats. Jimmy Butler is the Um, ultimate example of that. Yeah. Jimmy Butler, Paul George, uh, to an extent, like, look, Giannis, like, played a lot of guard when he played in like second division Greece against like the guys that were smoking half a pack at halftime and like trying to uh, deal with Giannis being six foot nine at the time and all sorts of long and everything. Um, You know, not all these guys came into the league and were totally developed, but on some level you can see the outlines. And for instance, like I can see the outlines with Vic where he gets to this point, right? Like there, there's an outcome where Vic is pretty similar to Giannis. I think at the end of the day, just because of the way that his length impacts the game on the court. But I do think that you look at all of those players, it is a cleaner pathway in terms of creating and deriving value if you could be a dominant on-ball presence in a way that Wembenyama is still developing in a real way. 
And the biggest question for Henderson to answer this year is the jump shot, right? Yes. Uh, and that's no that's catch and shoot yeah. and pull up? Uh, yeah, I think so. Look, at the, at the end of the day, like I'm a little bit less worried about the catch and shoot with Scoot, if only because he's going to be on ball. Like that's sure. where his values derived. You know, they, they go hand in hand. Like they're correlated a lot of the time where, you know, pull up sh- great pull up shooters are likely to be great catch and shoot guys, if only because – they it's a touch factor you know first and foremost there are some guys that are a little bit better as pull-up shooters and shooters off the catch just because you know they get into their rhythm a little bit better when they can take the rhythm dribble and get everything going but at the end of the day i mean you you would expect that uh scoot the, the skill that matters for him early on is being able to force defenders to not go seven feet under his ball screen and like knock down a shot like that that's the that was the difference with John Morant right like it's hard for teams now to go you know seven feet under his ball screen in order to try to stop him from shooting like he made 34 35 percent from three last year uh if you go way under him he might hurt you and honestly like probably will hurt you if you go way under he will pull up from three and will shoot it and probably will make it if he's wide open but if Scoot can do that, if Scoot can get to like the Morant level, I think that his upside is very, very high. His upside is like all NBA if he can get to that level. Yeah, and that's really exciting. Um, I've seen Henderson a couple times in person just because the G League Knight played at Chase twice last year. And he was yep. intriguing, but I wasn't focused as much on him because we knew he wasn't draft eligible. But I definitely intriguing. The next place that I want to go, they aren't as high on the last board that you did, but they're the most intriguing to me are the Thompson Twins. And that's, yep. uh, is it Osar and Amen? Is that how you pronounce it? Osar and Amen. And they're both with Overtime Elite. And I think yep. you know the reason why they're next on my list. And it's the height and the role defensively that they might play. Yeah, that, that's right. Uh, Amend particularly is just such an awesome defender. <laughs> like, look, they're playing Overtime Elite and they can get as... I don't, I don't think it'd be fair to say disengaged, but like off the ball, like there are times where, for instance, they played mega recently and there were times where they, you know, got beaten with some like off ball actions by the, like this European team that is very well schooled. Right. Um, but a man is so put up, you know, it's not uncommon for him to put up five steel, three block games. Whew. You know what I mean? Just cause like, he really is an impact player on that. Asar, it, it's funny, like, I, I feel like Asar gets underrated athletically often because he's not as twitchy as a man. But Asar would, Asar will enter the NBA as like a top 20 athlete in the entire NBA. Like, it, it will be a joke. Like, he is just an absolute monster in terms of his explosiveness athletically. Uh, good defender, uh, more of a wing defender than like the primary, like, player maker point of attack defender that a man is um yeah no they're, they're awesome defensively I, I i had asar higher on my board last time i i would swap that now i would probably have a men higher i think that uh 
his passing and defense intersection. Neither of them can really shoot right now, which is my significant concern. Um, but the passing and defense intersection for a men is just a little bit too high along with the like twitchy athleticism uh, that he has. Like a men will enter the NBA as probably one of the five best athletes in the NBA. Um, wow. He, he's yeah. Like he's that special as an athlete in terms of like twitchiness, quickness, like intersection of length and athleticism. Um, all of it, like you watch him and it's just like, what in the world am I watching right now? He, he is an absolute joke athletically in terms of the way he functionally uses it on the court. For those who've been listening closely, we've talked primarily about four prospects, none of whom are playing college basketball next year. Yeah. Who? Yeah, that's right. What teams, what players? I mean, we don't have to go through everybody. People can reach your board. I'm sure you're going to do a lot of other great stuff. Um, what? Who? Who is like for NBA people? It's like it's a, a night that there isn't a game you want to watch. Like what teams, what players beyond like would be the word, be, the place to start? Yeah, I would say Duke is a good place to start. Uh, Derek Whitehead uh, just recently had foot surgery. But he is, you know, a six foot six wing. It's a great straight line driver and is a high level scorer. Uh, Derek Lively is a seven foot one center with like a seven foot seven wingspan. And uh, I would expect he'll be the best defensive player in the ACC this season at the very least. Uh, awesome shot blocker has some potential to step out and shoot threes. Duke also has Kyle Filipowski, who is like a 19 year old, you know, six foot 11 big, uh, is the way I would describe him as opposed to center. He can handle the ball a bit. He can pass. He can shoot from, he's very skilled as a center. He's like, mm-hmm. a, the question with him is obviously like, what are you going to get out and defensively? But offensively he's a very, very highly skilled player. Like will play in the NBA. And then they also have Tyrese Proctor from Australia, who is like a six foot four, six foot five point guard. Uh, really, really high level in ball screens, really high level passer playmaker. And, you know, in terms of his defense, he's pretty good. It's just whether or not the shot is going to come along quick enough. I, I would say he will play in the NBA. I don't know if it'll be one and done or if it'll be two and done necessarily for him. Um, Kentucky has some guys, as they always do. Kentucky has Kaysom Wallace, Chris Livingston, uh, Damian Collins. You know, Jacob Toppin has some interest to an extent. Uh, he's going to be, I think, 23 on draft night potentially, though, which is going to be a little bit tough for him. But he's like a late bloomer in the same way that Obi is. Uh, I would also note Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arkansas is a really good one this year. Because Nick Smith is a guy that's probably going to go in the lottery, very creative playmaker as like a combo guard. Anthony Black is another guy that I really like. Six foot seven, like almost like he played point guard in Texas in high school uh, and like in the AAU circuit. I wonder if the way they work it at Arkansas this year is like Anthony Black's the point guard and then Nick Smith kind of plays off the ball a little bit more. Um, but Anthony Black is like an I, I, t- I tend to think of these guys as like everything but shoot prospects. Mm-hmm. Uh, super high level passer at six foot seven. Great defender plays with real intensity, uh, just high level processor of basketball. Uh, and then they also have Jordan Walsh who is like this very athletic, energetic, high-level defensive prospect who's just like kind of an action player, right? Makes things happen on the court. Younger for his class, six foot seven, you know, 
great frame, 200, 205 pounds, something like that. Uh, might not be a one and done because I worry a little bit about where his skill level is at this point offensively and if he's a good enough shooter and ball handler to make an impact on that end. But if he shows to be a little bit higher level there than what we anticipate coming into the year could very easily be a one and done. And then also on Arkansas is a big name, Trevon Brazil, who I am pretty high on. I, I quite liked the tape that I saw last year at Missouri from him. He's a transfer uh, a real late bloomer, like sprouted up like five or six inches uh, over the course of, I want to say, like the last three years uh, was not like super on radars. Two years even was not super on radars prior to uh, like the summer before his or this, like the summer after his senior year and then took a leap, uh, you know, in his senior year, went to Missouri, transferred to Arkansas. He'll be their starting center and he will be a very, very high level player. Uh, the the last team that I do want to note here, uh, as, as I kind of look through my notes, is Houston. That's who I was going to mention, and, and you probably know why, and that's because my favorite guy at the Hoop Summit, I like the Arkansas guys too, but my favorite player, not necessarily as like an NBA guy, but the guy that I just enjoyed the most was Jairus Walker. Yeah, so they have three potential first-round picks, in my opinion. Uh, Jairus Walker is the guy with the most hype. Uh, you know, six foot eight. I, I don't know. What would you call him? Like just a straight power forward? Yeah, I he's, guess. A, he's a four like, to me. He's a four to me. Yeah, just like physical, strong, intense, defends. Like he is the idealized version of a Houston Cougar basketball player that Kelvin Sampson will just absolutely fucking love. Like they will play him small at the five. They'll play him at the four. He'll switch. Like he'll do all that shit and will be awesome at it. Uh, what do you think of his skill level? Intriguing at times, but complimentary, and I'm going to have to see the jump shot. That, that's kind of where I'm at on it as well. Their point guard is Marcus Sasser. He was the best player at the G League Elite Camp last year, was one of the best players to play five-on-five five at the Combine last year. He just missed all of last season. And I think because of that, he entered the draft process a little bit behind the eight ball and couldn't really catch up in the way that he wanted to. I think that he you know, certainly would have gotten a two-way if he entered the draft last year. I think he had a real chance to get a guaranteed contract if he would have entered the draft last year. But I think he has a real chance to be a be like the highest drafted point guard in this class because this is not like an elite level point guard class once you get past Scoot Henderson and Amen Thompson. And by that, I mean like getting past Scoot Henderson and Amen Thompson. Um, and, and, then, and then they have they have Arsenault too, right? And yeah, the third guy is Terrence Arsenault. Terrence Arsenault is honestly probably my favorite long-term guy at Houston. He's a little bit more raw in terms of like skill level, but he does everything pretty well right now. He's a good defender. He can knock down a catch and shoot three. He can put the ball on the deck a little bit and pass. Uh, like he does, he does everything well. Nothing at an elite level yet, but he's six foot six. He has exceptional length. He's a good athlete. Like it, it's just kind of a. I don't even know. It's like a Mikhail Bridges starter kit almost. And if he, how he develops will determine where he gets to on the Mikhail Bridges scale. If we're going to say like Mikhail Bridges is one of the best complimentary players in the NBA. I don't know if Terrence Arsenault will get that far, but I think that like that, that's the kind of toolsy starter kit that he has potential to reach depending on how his development goes over the next four years. I'm going to throw one more out there. I, I thought about Julian Strother of Gonzaga, who I do really like. Um, but the yeah. other the other one for me is Chris Murray. And 
Chris Murray may look and sound familiar to you, and that's because he is the identical twin of Keegan Murray. And when I watched Keegan film at Iowa, one of the things that stuck out to me was I'm like, oh, he's getting a lot less of an opportunity, but the margin between Keegan Murray and Chris Murray is not that big. And it's not because Keegan Murray is bad. It's because Chris Murray is good. Yeah, yeah. I think as college players, the margin will be pretty different. I don't think Chris is nearly as good of a ball handler as Keegan is. Yeah, I think that's fair. And and, and Keegan's like his, his... his instincts, his kind of like knowing what to do level was higher, but Chris Burt, like Chris was good too. Chris is really good. Chris is athletic. He's six foot eight. He's like, he's like exactly what you would want from a potential three and D guy in terms of frame. Like a lot of the guys we talk about as three and D guys end up being, oh man, like they're six foot five. I wish they were bigger. Like Chris Murray has the frame. He's six foot eight. He's got like a six eleven wingspan. He's 220 pounds. Like big dude has the frame that you're looking for. will be able to guard threes and fours easily um, and can shoot. Like he shot 39% from three last year. So his NBA prospects, I think that Keegan is a better NBA prospect. I I think that that's like kind of undeniable, but I think that Chris is like a legit potential first round pick. The other name that I will toss people from Iowa is Peyton Sanford, Uh, six foot seven, just gunner from three. Uh, really, really impressive shooter that I think could emerge at Iowa this year and become a potential draft pick. Maybe not in 2023, but down the road uh, is a player that I quite like. You and I could talk for a lot longer about a lot more teams and players, but we will have the opportunity to do that later, both on Real GM Radio and potentially in some other places. So we can leave it there. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, of course, Danny. Thanks again to Sam Vecini for taking the time to come on. You can read his work at The Athletic. You can listen to the excellent Game Theory podcast that he does. And while you should listen to it when I'm not on it as well, I am also going to be on an upcoming episode. I don't know the exact release timing of that. We talked a little bit more about Wembenyama, but we talked a lot about potential NBA trade targets, which was really fun. And if somehow you don't already, you can follow Sam on Twitter at Sam underscore Vecini, S-A-M underscore V-E-C-E-N-I-E. Love having him on, love talking with him. And if you want to support this show, there are a lot of different things you can do. You can subscribe, download every episode, really whatever podcast player you use, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anything else. And that's useful for Real GM Radio because it's never going to come out on a specific day of the week. You can't get into a habit on it. That's just not the way it's ever going to work. And if there's a place that you'd like Real GM Radio to be and it is not, let me know and I will pass it up the chain to people who know more about these things than I do that had that recently with Stitcher and apparently got the feed all, all patched up which is good. Can also help other people find the show. That can be through leaving a rating or review in the aforementioned podcast player or word of mouth, social media, in person, whatever. It helps other people find the show. Really do appreciate that. And then the most important thing for Real GM Radio and any other show that has them is to check out our sponsors. For this episode that is Bet Online. use that CLNS50 promo code to get yourself a 50% welcome bonus and tell them that you came from us, which we really do appreciate. And you can also check out my other work. I will turn my Victor Wembanyama thoughts into a piece. I do not know when that will come out, but I am in process on it. I wrote a draft of it on the plane. But then also, of course, Dunked On, Dunked On Prime. Nate and I are getting close to the full swing of it. We did our over-unders this past week and then... A lot more stuff to do before the season starts in actual preseason games. Also, we do Spotify Live together. That is typically on Tuesdays at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific. And that should be, you know, running. Hopefully it'll run for a long time. And then we announced 
over this past week that the NBA strategy stream, the broadcast that we do with NBA League Pass, will be returning for this year. In the early part of the season, preliminarily, it doesn't look like it's going to be a specific day of the week. We're working on that um, in part because working around national TV schedules and everything else like that, which will actually allow us to have more flexibility in terms of the matchups that we choose and harder for you to get into a habit, but it's a lot of fun. You can watch the game with us and see the game and everything else. It's really, really cool. So excited and thrilled that that will be back for the coming season. Schedule TBD, but you can you can find that in the usual places. Also should mention, thrilled to have John Hollinger and Dan Feldman in the Dunked on Prime family. Hollinger and Duncan is going to be on Dunked on Prime starting, I believe it's October 11th, and then Feldman is going to be doing a lot of different stuff with us, including some great work that he's already doing on the Daily Dunks for Total Access subscribers, and he'll be doing some pod work and, and audio versions and all that, and thrilled to have them both on board and make Dunked on Prime an even better product for you all. And if you have any feedback on this show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is an absolute promise. I'm not always the greatest at replying, but I will always read it, and that is important to me. I do it every day. So thank you so much for listening. Take care, and make it a great day.